Welcome to the Supervisory Development Course podcast from the University of Minnesota. This podcast discusses the challenges and best practices of managing flexible teams and making decisions around flexible work. Visit z.umn.edu slash workwithflexibility and supervising.umn.edu for more resources and information. Welcome to our webinar today on managing flexible teams. I'm Emily Tichich, and I'll be presenting the webinar today. Throughout the webinar, I'll be joined by several experts to talk about some key points you need to know about flexible teams. With me today are Brandon Sullivan, the Senior Director of Leadership and Talent Development and Interim Director of Employee and Labor Relations in the Office of Human Resources, and Lovey Pysig, the Leadership Development Manager in LTD, Mayu Amua, she's the Organization Development Specialist in the Office of Information Technology, and Ashley Alexander, who's an Organization Development and Learning Associate in University Libraries. In today's webinar, we'll be talking about exactly what we mean when we say flexible work arrangements. We'll also talk through the steps and key considerations you need to take in order to prepare yourself and your team for flexible work, as well as the skills you'll need to successfully manage flexible teams. So this webinar won't cover any specific campus, college, or unit plan about flexible work, but will instead provide you with guidance, skills, and resources that you can use should your local campus, college, or unit support flexible work. We'll talk more about this later, but local leaders are hard at work developing plans and guidance for flexible work arrangements and should communicate their plans by July 19th. If you haven't heard from local leaders yet, stay tuned. This webinar will help you apply best practices for managing flexible teams. If you haven't heard from local leaders yet, that's okay. Just stay tuned. You can still watch the webinar and go through the exercises we'll talk about today and start thinking about your team's work and thinking of questions you might need to ask your local leaders. Let's start by getting on the same page about what we're talking about when we say flexible work arrangements or working with flexibility. To do this, Brandon is going to walk us through some different ways that flexible work can show up at the university. Thanks, Emily. When we talk about working with flexibility, there are two main types of flexibility we're talking about. The first is space. Flexible space means flexibility in where the work gets done. And you can think about three different categories of where work gets done. The first is in person. If you have a fully in-person team or department, what that means is that everybody in that team, everybody in that department works in one physical location. So for example, everybody has workspace or an office in one building or maybe in a couple of different buildings that are next to each other. All the way on the other end of the continuum, you can have a virtual team or a virtual department. And what this means is that there is no shared physical location. Everybody is working from somewhere else. For example, everybody is working from home. Then there's the middle category of hybrid. And a hybrid team or a hybrid department is one in which you have some people that may be working on site in the same physical location. You have some people who may be working remotely from home or from some other, some other place. And you may have people who do both, right? So who are in the office some days and who work remotely other days. But as a whole, the team or the department is hybrid if there's this combination of in-person and virtual. The other main type of flexibility is around time. Flexible time means that there's flexibility around when the work gets done. So for example, you may have some members of a team or department who work nine to five most of the time. Maybe others work you know, in the morning until mid-afternoon. And then let's say, for example, they pick their kids up from school, spend some time with their kids helping with homework, and then they get back to work after that. And there may be flexibility within the team or department 
around using whichever schedule best fits with the work and best fits with other responsibilities outside of work. There's a lot of ways to do flex time, but the idea is that there's flexibility around when the work gets done. Here you can see what different combinations of flexible space and flexible time look like. Starting in the lower left corner, you can see it says fixed. And this is what you might call more of a traditional work arrangement. This is where everybody is expected most of the time to be there in person, and everybody is expected most of the time to be there during certain hours. That doesn't mean there isn't any flexibility in a traditional work arrangement. You know, a lot of times with supervisor approval, you might be able to shift your hours around for a particular day if you have something come up. But the, 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 the standard expectation is that you're there in person and you're there during some core hours. You can go all the way to the other end of the continuum. And if you look at the top right box where it says flex time and flex space, this is where there is flexibility around where the work gets done. So you can work in person, you can work virtually, and then also when the work gets done. So there's flexibility around the hours. So there's two other categories that are worth considering. One is flex space, and that's where there are you know, kind of more or less a fixed schedule. So maybe everybody is expected to be working between nine and five most of the time, but there's options to work in person or there's options to work virtually. So there's flexibility around where the work gets done. Then there's also flex time, and that's where the work is done in person. So there's not an option to work virtually. You have to be there, but there's flexibility in when the work gets done. And this is also something that for some teams, some departments, some type of work can be very practical and work very well and actually can not only give employees flexibility that's helpful for them, but it also can help the team if you have different people working at different times. Because of the huge variety in the nature of work we have at the university, teams and departments can and will often have different levels of flexibility. For example, there will be teams that, because of the nature of their work, need to continue working in person. They can't offer virtual options. But they could still be flexible if positions have some flexibility around time and scheduling, around when the work gets done. On the other hand, there will likely be some teams or departments that are completely virtual, and they may or may not have flexibility around when the work gets done. And finally, there are our hybrid teams or hybrid departments, and this is where some people are working in person, others are working remotely, and some are going back and forth between those two options. We're likely to see a lot more teams like this in the future. Hybrid teams are uh, a focus of a lot of organizations right now looking at what type of flexibility can be offered that meets the needs of employees while also meeting the needs of the teams and the departments. What flexibility looks like in a particular role or for a particular team or department is going to vary depending on the nature of the work. That being said, there are quite a few benefits that have been well documented around increasing flexible work arrangements. For example, more flexibility can help people create a balance between accomplishing results at work and maintaining well-being outside of it. When people don't have a lot of flexibility, they're often faced with choices around, do I get the work done or do I tend to this important thing outside of work? When there's more flexibility, it's easier to get both done and feel less stressed about it. Working with flexibility has also been associated with increased job satisfaction, reduced work stress, and feeling more supported and more confident in dealing with the demands that come at you at work and outside of work. Organizations with flexible work arrangements have also seen higher levels of retention and engagement compared to those without flexible work. Great. Thanks, Brandon.
To talk more about what supervisors can expect when it comes to flexible work, Brandon and I are joined now by Lovie Pysik, who's the Leadership Development Manager in OHR. To get us started, I'd like to ask you both some more questions just about flexible work in general. One of the things we've been hearing a lot from supervisors is some confusion about what's different with flexible work now as compared to during the COVID pandemic. Could you two talk a little bit about what's different for supervisors going forward? So lovey here. Um, what really stands out to me is I think there's a lot more expectation setting and anticipation now. Um, when this pandemic hit just over a year ago, there was a lot of adrenaline, survival-based instincts really motivating all of our behaviors in and outside the workplace. So becoming agile, adapting to a lot of change, including for many teams going completely remote literally overnight, I think while very stressful, it was also in some ways easier because we had a lot of adrenaline and fear-based motivation running that. Um, now we're really asking everybody to be super intentional, frontal lobe, literally um, planning for their future work arrangements. And I'll just really add, we're not quite out of a pandemic either. So there's also this back and forth of, you know, should I still be fearful of my safety and health, the health of others? But I also want to really be intentional and anticipate a lot of change. So a lot more um, stress, but in other ways, a little less distressing from a motivational way. And so I think it's really easy now for supervisors, especially to second guess themselves and get into what I like to frame as decision paralysis, um, because we don't have those same drives to make decisions a lot quicker and in some ways a little bit easier. So Brandon, what would you add or elaborate on? Yeah, I, I would completely agree. When I think about that, that question, the first thing that came to mind is exactly what you said around when uh, when we first went to virtual, most many of us, it was overnight, literally overnight. There wasn't time to plan. There wasn't time to think about it. We had to do it, which did make it easier in terms of making the decision and then making it happen. And now what's different is that we can be more planful and more thoughtful about what works, what doesn't work, retaining the things that do work um, and addressing the things that, that don't work. And when I think specifically about sort of what's gonna be different, I think the, the biggest thing is gonna be more hybrid situation. We're gonna have a world now and many uh, departments and teams are already seeing this where it's more of a hybrid. You're gonna be as a supervisor, seeing some of your team members right there in front of you in the office um, or wherever you work um, and others are going to be remote. And you may have plenty of situations where you're working on projects or having meetings or doing work. And some people are there physically and some people are there virtually. And that is a more challenging kind of situation uh, to manage in a lot of ways. Creates a lot more opportunity though, I think, and there's a lot of upside to it, but it, there's no doubt that it's gonna be a little more challenging for supervisors. Thanks, Brandon and Lovey. You both brought up some really good points that I think would resonate with our supervisors. So something that strikes me about in what you said is that although supervisors have very practical firsthand experience in, like you said, for the last several months, managing virtual or hybrid teams, Still, there's something a lot of a lot of this sounds really like a new thing for supervisors, like they'll be responsible for more coming up. Can you and that might I don't know how that feels to our supervisor audience, but it can feel a little bit like, wait, what? Like, we didn't we just get through this already? And now there's something else coming around the corner. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of this newness that supervisors will be responsible for with this flexible work, work arrangement? Yeah, so th there's, you know, we're still learning about what that's going to look like, to be totally honest. But there are some things that we do know for sure. Um, and there are some supervisors that are already on the leading edge of, of this experience, and then others that are going to be, um, you know, learning as, as we go. 
Um, but, you know, a couple of things really stand out. You know, one is that overall, I think expectations for supervisors are going up. Um, and some of the things that are going to create that, uh, there's going to be even more sort of uh, ambiguity and uncertainty um, than there used to be in terms of how to effectively manage a team or a department. Um, there's not going to be exact right answers, not that there ever were, but right now, when you think about the ways that we're going to be working together, there are more of them than there used to be for many supervisors. And that means there's more ways to, to supervise and manage. So there aren't necessarily the same answers that there used to be. Um, so their supervisors are going to have to sort of sit with that discomfort that that's going to cause sometimes around, okay, I'm not really sure what the right answer is here, um, or I need to pick from three or four that might work, which one is going to be the best. Um, so there's a, a lot of that, that that we're going to have to sort of navigate through uh, together as supervisors. Um, and, you know, the other thing is that there's starting to be more, um, more research coming out on what, you know, kind of what happens when we start managing more um, Work, workforces where you have people working in person or hybrid or virtual. And when you look at, for example, employee engagement, one of the things that we're seeing is that the levels of engagement are going up in organizations, which may be a little bit surprising to some, but what's going on is that many organizations and university would be one of them. There's been a real sense of togetherness through this. Um, and that's you know, brought a, a high level of commitment and dedication to the, the work and the department or team and the university. Um, so that's great, but the challenge facing supervisors is that the way that people are working is shifting what it is you need to do as a supervisor to sustain engagement and help people not burn out. So for example, we know now we're starting to see trends and, and this is um, not data from the university, this is global data, um, that workers who are more in person working on site, some of the big challenges are around safety, around communication from management, around visibility. These are some of the things that are really going to be driving engagement as supervisors need to be thinking about. For hybrid workers, a lot of what we're seeing is trends toward um, concerns about accessing the right resources, the right tools, the right systems to allow for hybrid work um, because it's a little more complicated. And so supervisors are going to need to make sure that those, those employees who are working hybrid have those uh, so that they can be engaged and productive. And then fully virtual workers um, are talking a lot about challenges with, you know, sort of the always on culture of 24 seven work. You know, how do you say, okay, now I'm done working, now I'm at home <laughs> when you're there all the time. And many of us have been working virtually and know what that looks like. That's gonna continue to be a challenge for, for workers who continue virtually. So supervisors are going to need to develop the skills to really address each of those sets of concerns with the different types of employees. Whereas in the past, many supervisors just had just had one type of employee in terms of those work arrangements to, to manage. Yeah, and I completely echo everything that was just laid out and would just kind of zoom out. I think what we're really then with, again, more of your frontal lobe and discernment, intentionality, asking supervisors to reevaluate how they identify with leadership and supervision. So I think majority of supervisors out there didn't grow up in a completely remote or hybrid work arrangement themselves. And so even realizing that they can craft that and leave that on their own teams can be really exciting for some and might even feel a little bit like grief or loss for others who had wished they had that themselves five, 10, 15 years ago, et cetera. And so really encouraging supervisors to lean into some of this and find out what about it will be exciting and also challenging and discombobulating um, to really think about how they identify with the you know idea of supervising and 
what that's going to look like differently in the upcoming months and years. And it, it might take a while to feel comfortable. Um, but I also think there's a lot of reward that we all have been talking about already that will come of that. So. Thank you both so much for weighing in on these questions. I, we, I hope our audience hears you loud and clear. Like there's no one way to do it. There's no perfect way to be a supervisor. It's just about, like you said, Lovey, you know, not to overuse the phrase, but really leaning in and asking yourself these yourself as a supervisor these questions around, you know, what what does it take? You know, what does it take to to continue or to maybe to develop a team that's that's working well together and feels engaged and motivated in the work as well. So we're going to switch gears now and talk about what you can do to prepare for flexible work. We'll be joined again by Brandon and Lovey in a few minutes. So stay tuned. There are five main areas we want you to consider as you think about working with flexibility on your team. Equity and implicit bias, local considerations or local guidance, the nature of work for both the team and the individual positions within the team, what individual people prefer with the flexibility you can offer their positions, and finally, we want you to consider what your plan will be for revisiting and checking in with team members about their work arrangements. Before making any final decisions about flexible work arrangements on your team, Make sure you check with and align to any guidance from your local campus, college, or unit around flexible work. As you know, there's a huge variety of work done at the university, all with different needs and priorities. Because of this, local campuses, colleges, and units may have different positions and guidance that you'll need to consider and align to. Like we said at the beginning of the webinar, by July 19th, 2021, you should have heard from your local leaders about any flexible work guidelines specific to your campus, college, or unit. If you're watching this before July 19th, and you haven't heard anything yet, that's okay. University leaders are working on guidance now and you should hear from them soon. Just keep in mind that any decisions you make for your team will have to align with guidelines from your local leadership. Understand your bias. Everyone has biases, that's okay. But before you start making decisions about flexible work, take some time to pause and reflect on your own bias and how that could affect your decision-making around flexible work as well as how you manage team members. As a supervisor, you must build awareness around bias in your flexible work decisions. Implicit bias left unexamined leads to unproductive and often harmful consequences for the people you supervise. And the mission of the university. You can make a difference by challenging status quo ideas around work, being a part of a culture shift in addressing inequities. To help you build awareness, let's talk through some common types of cognitive biases that can show up in flexible work. Affinity bias. Affinity bias is when you give preferential treatment to someone because they share similar experiences as you, or they remind you of someone you know and like. For example, if you're an in-person manager with a flexible team, you may give more rewarding or interesting work to the people you see in person because you have a shared experience with them. This is an important bias to disrupt. Recency bias is another bias that shows up. This is when recent events or information are given more weight and importance than older ones. For example, you may give more weight to one team member that you work closely with and often with versus another team member that you haven't been in a meeting with for a few days. And you can probably see how that might introduce bias. And again, it's important to disrupt. Another type of bias is confirmation bias. This is when you're seeking or taking in new information to confirm your own beliefs rather than being open-minded. For example, a supervisor who always thought flexibility was a bad idea or could never work may give up on flexible work arrangements at the first sign of difficulty or challenge. Now that might sound logical to you, but that is indeed a, a bias. You're taking that information to confirm your own beliefs rather than working through it. You're seeking information and opportunities to confirm your own thoughts around flexible work 
rather than working through it. So again, another bias to avoid, and we'll talk about that more in just a minute. Consensus bias is when people see their own thoughts, choices, and judgments as common and shared with others. For example, a supervisor may think that there's no way team members can be productive if they're working outside of the office. With consensus bias, they may just assume that everyone else agrees with them. So of course, you're probably thinking now too how often assumptions go hand in hand with biases. In addition to recognizing and mitigating bias, supervisors must commit to treating people equitably and balancing the needs of individual with the needs of the team. To talk more about equity and bias, I'm joined again by Lovie Pysig, as well as Brandon Sullivan. So Lovie and Brandon, equity, when we talk about equity, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So I wanna take a minute to level set. And I'd like to ask you both, in your opinions, in your expert opinions, what are we talking about when we say equity in the context of a flexible work arrangement? How should supervisors think about equity? Yeah, I'm happy to get us started on this. Um, the first thing that always comes to mind for me is really separating equity from equality or sameness. You know, we all have different life circumstances. We have different kinds of jobs, goals, motivations, learning styles, even values and strengths. And so, you know, I always believe people should have equal access to work opportunities, to have meaningful work, as well as work that provides a certain level of income and sense of security, et cetera. But how we all achieve those things can look very different because we have different life circumstances. So what I've really been encouraging supervisors, and I think this is a best practice, again, prior to the pandemic and post-pandemic as well, is really um, working with your team members individually, case-by-case -case basis about what they each need to really thrive at work. That can be differences in schedules, differences in priorities, deadlines, using their strengths. Um, and not expecting everybody on the team to need the same kinds of resources at the same time, um, and really just paying attention to individual differences, as well as similarities or themes across team members as well. Um, but, but that's where I really go first when I think about equity at work, is paying attention to your work members as individual people who have all very different needs and, and strengths as well. Um, Brandon, what would, what would you add? You know, focusing on equity really requires that you learn each person's needs and challenges and strengths and, and so on individually. And, and you really need to cue in on that to know what, what does each person need from you to be successful? And it's gonna be different person to person. And that, that is a little bit of a different way of thinking about this kind of work than maybe we've done before where the focus has been more on sort of treating everybody exactly the same. That's not gonna work here. There's a real recognition that, that it's gonna to have to be equity, not the same thing for everybody. It's have to be, okay, what does everybody need and how do we support them as best we can? So that is gonna require supervisors to really attend to each person um, a little bit more maybe than, than they're used to. Awesome, thank you both for your, for your insights there and for helping us take a very big topic, a very big concept and kind of focusing in on what it means for supervisors. So another question I have is about the consequences of not thinking about equity in flexible work arrangements. So a big concern we hear, especially from non-supervisors, is, well, what if my supervisor holds on to the, you know, that old way of working and won't even consider flexibility, even though I know my job could accommodate it? So these questions around again, around equity. So it, you know, in a word or two, what would you say to supervisors who are reluctant for whatever reason, but who are reluctant to try out flexible work arrangements on their team, even when there could be opportunities to do so? You know, we always say you start with the work. Um, so what does the work require? 
And we want to look at work through the lens of both an individual and the work that they're doing, but also the team or the department that they're a part of. But of course, you know, it might be easy to fall into old ways and say, well, the work has to be done this way. And so then it's like, okay, does the work really require uh, that, that it be done in person, for example? And so certainly, Certainly, there's a range of supervisors who are going to feel comfortable and open to, you know, trying new things. That's natural. Um, but I would say that if you if you're a supervisor who's finding yourself feeling skeptical uh, of flexibility, there may be good reason for it, depending on the work that you do. Um, at the same time, I would encourage you to think about uh, challenging your own assumptions around that, because we know that uh, going forward, a lot of employees are going to have expectations that there's more flexibility. Um, that has all sorts of benefits for people being able to manage you know, stress and keep stress um, a little bit lower, be productive, be engaged, stay in their roles. Um, I would encourage you to think about the impact of productivity to retention, to engagement, um, and, and the expectations that employees are increasingly going to bring uh, around that. So those are a few things. There's a lot of reasons, <laughs> but those are a few that come to mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree and would just elaborate, you know, with what I was sharing earlier, we were motivated in our bodies to survive and change to, you know, new habits that some still feel new for many, but also are, you know, I now forget that Zoom wasn't my norm several years ago or a couple of years ago in my work. Um, so asking people, you know, to return to an on-campus setting or a new um, arrangement that wasn't the current way of doing things through the pandemic is going to require even more effort and um, intentionality from people. And without that same fear-based motivation to do so, if there's not a huge business case or carrot, if you will, that really makes sense to your workers, um, it could actually be a really demotivating experience for the team um, if things feel and seem more rigid than your team really thinks they need to be. And so coming up with a convincing business case um, that, you know, is, is where I would suggest if you're trying to bring your team to be um, back on campus or back to the old norms. Um, but, you know, I would also add, you know, test out your logic with, you know, why flexibility is something you're hesitating about as a supervisor um, and understand that there's some risks too, um, other than demotivating your workforce. I agree with what Brandon said. Productivity could suffer if people feeling forced to do work the way that they no longer want to or need to. And there's, um, you know, depending on your particular work and sector or industry, you know, the job markets, though, are really looking for employees and our competitors, if they're offering more flexible arrangements than you are, um, I think retention as well as engagement can really be an issue for us. And I think we all know how to do our work and hope that we're tr being trusted to do things that way. And so I would really lean into connecting with your teams and people individually to find out their preferences and how they view their work and how they view their work to be conducted on site, hybrid, completely remote. Because um, if there's a disconnect between how you want to do things and how your team wants to, um, there could be some risks and issues short term and long term with that as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. One thing that, that came to mind too is there's a lot of research showing that when you provide flexibility around time and around schedule, what that actually does for employees is it gives them more resources to be able to deal with work challenges. And so, and 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 there's a direct correlation between how much you can sort of you know have someone working on um, and how many resources they have to deal with that. If they don't have as many resources, don't have as much control over things, um, they're going to be able to do less. And it's just kind of that simple. And of course, that impacts engagement and well-being and all sorts of other important things. 
So one way to think about it is if you can, as a supervisor, find a way to create flexibility, especially around time, but, but also around where people are working, you're giving your employees more resources to do the work. So in that way, it's, it's kind of a, you know, I hate to use the cliche, but it's a win-win situation for everybody if you can figure that out. I think giving people as much control, and I love the word agency, to approach the work the way that it works for them is also very, very inclusive. Um, and I would just really encourage supervisors who you know, value that or come from units that are really putting a stake in the ground around inclusivity going forward, that this is a practice that can really take that to the action level. So I just have one more question for you. And this is a little bit, little bit broader, but I think very actionable. Um, I'd like to talk about how bias comes into play both in making decisions around flexible work arrangements and in managing flexible teams, like after the decision is made. So can you two speak a little bit about what biases supervisors need to build their awareness of, you know, the ones that come to mind for you, the ones that you've been reading about, and of what actions they can take to disrupt their biases? One of the themes that Brandon and I have been sharing is just expecting things to remain a bit ambiguous, uncomfortable. I use the word discombobulating at times. Um, and so I would say, you know, to avoid some confirmation bias really taking over is don't confuse any of those emotional states as a sign of doing something wrong or bad as a supervisor. Um, I actually, if I were coaching someone one-on-one, would actually say, if you're a bit out of your discomfort, you know, if you're feeling a little bit discomfort, it's probably means you're doing something new, great, um, and it's a sign of success in many ways. Um, obviously, you can tell with your work deliverables and whatnot if things are going in the way you need them to in your work, but but I really encourage employees to not confuse, you know, any sort of discomfort with trying some new things out as a sign that this is bad or is a bad idea, um, because that's definitely not the case, and it's really a sign of growth and exploration with you know, some of these flexible work arrangements that we all have been discussing and describing. So, that, so that's where I go first. When I think about this, this question, you know, one of the things that comes to my mind um, is sort of the what and the how of performance. So sometimes people will talk about, you know, there's the what of performance, which is the results you're trying to achieve. And the how of performance is, you know, how do you get there? What are the, the behaviors or the actions you take to get there? And you know, one of the things that as we're looking at more flexible work that's gonna likely happen, well, hopefully will happen, the what of performance may not be changing. What you're trying to achieve as a team or department may not be any different, but how you get there is gonna have more paths than it used to have. And supervisors and myself included, and you know, I think this is true of everybody, is we're gonna have our, our favorite hows, right? Our favorite paths, the paths that we're comfortable with, the paths that we've seen be effective in the past, um, and, and we're going to have a bias toward, you know, okay, this is comfortable, this makes sense, I know this works, other paths may not work, so I'm going to focus on, you know, information that's telling me my path is right, and other paths, you know, especially when you put it together with the point Lovey just made, you're going to see, I don't know, that, I don't know that that's working so well, let's go back to what's comfortable. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of that confirmation bias and some other biases that can come into play there where you're maybe not giving quite enough weight to evidence that other ways might actually be working. And I think that's going to be a real uh, important sort of set of biases for all supervisors because we all we all have those around, okay, here's how I think this work should be done. I mean, we, you know, we wouldn't be supervisors if we didn't have some sense for that, but it, we've got to expand our thinking around that um, because that's going to be a little different going forward. Yeah, I, I love that approach. And I think what Brandon, you're also describing then is for supervisors who aren't 
maybe were forced in the past to be super clear on what the what is in performance, spelling that out very clearly and communicating that and making sure your teams are, are understanding the what is going to be even more essential because we're hopefully giving people a lot of agency to kind of figure out the, the hows to, to getting the what done. But the what's going to have to be clear to do that, um, definitely. Thank you so much, Levy and Brandon, for your expertise and your thoughts on equity and bias. I I mean, I, I've, I feel like we're just kind of dipping our toe in the water. There's so much more we could talk about, but I think you've given our audience a lot to think about. So after you've figured out your campus, college, or unit's guidance and have committed to disrupting bias and building equity on your team, the main driver in your flexible work decision-making process should be the nature of the work. While not every team or every position's work will lend itself to flexibility around space, many will. In order to make the best possible flexible work decisions, think hard about what your team needs to accomplish and then what the individual positions on the team need to do too. Remember what Brandon and Lovey said about challenging your assumptions and preferences about the work? Really stretch yourself to rethink the way you have always done things. How can your team achieve its purpose in new ways? After analyzing the needs of the team's work, consider the nature of each position. How is each position responsible for contributing to the larger goals of the team? Just like the larger team's work, challenge yourself to critically think about what needs to be done where and when. Stretch to find opportunities to rethink how the work gets done in order to leverage the benefits that flexible work arrangements can offer your team members. Take a moment to pause the webinar and think through the positions on your team. For each position, consider what is this position responsible for? What must be done in person? And then what can be done virtually? After analyzing the nature of the team and individual positions work, it's time to touch base with team members to talk through your thought processes, gather input, and set expectations. At this point, you should be comfortable with the type of flexibility you think each position can have and should hold a discussion to communicate that decision and figure out the team members' preferences within those parameters. Take a minute now to pause the webinar and reflect on what questions you would ask your team members to figure out their preferences. We also have a guide to discussing flexible work arrangements, which has some questions and conversation starters you can use to hold a conversation with your team. You can go to z.umn.edu slash FWA discussion guide. Finally, and this is crucial, make and communicate a plan to revisit flexible work arrangement with team members. Don't just do it once and be done. Like we've mentioned in this webinar already, you and your team members may run into challenges in your flexible work arrangements. It's okay, it's expected, but plan on revisiting regularly with the other person. You can use quick weekly or bi-weekly ongoing check-ins to ask your team members how things are going and if you need to adjust at all. Think through how you will keep track of how flexible work arrangements are going, how you will give feedback and receive input, and how you will hold yourself accountable to checking in with team members. Now that we've gone through how you can prepare for flexible work arrangements, I wanna take a few minutes to bring some other voices to the table to talk a little bit about how this might look. I'm joined now by Ashley Alexander with University Libraries and Mayua Mua with the Office of Information Technology. So Ashley and Mayua, we've just gone through these five areas that supervisors will need to spend time thinking about when preparing for flexible work arrangements. While these areas touch on practices you may already have in place, we know anytime there's a shift in the work environment, it's a lot for supervisors to think about it all at once. So both of you are involved in preparing for flexible work arrangements in your local units. What are flexible work arrangements currently looking like so far in your units? Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so as many across the university 
um, for OIT, the Office of Information Technology, the transition to a flexible work arrangement is, is pretty natural for us. We've been doing this for over a year, as has everyone else. And you know, right now we're really working on empowering our managers to define what flexibility looks like for their teams, while of course, staying within the parameters of the guidance as well. And managers know the most about their staff. They know the most about their teams and the work that they do. So we're recommending that managers consult with their team members, consult with key partners, um, folks that they work closely with before finalizing any plans that would allow them to still achieve their, their objectives, but while you know, at the same time also supporting their employees and, and allowing for that flexibility. Thank you so much, Mayua. Ashley, what about in your unit? What, does it, what do the flexible work arrangements look like so far at this point? So when people think of the libraries, they often think of our physical buildings like Walter or Wilson or McGraw. And so it's important that we continue to have some in-person presence for our students and faculty and community patrons, but not all work has to be done in person. And there are other types of flexibility that we might be able to offer to our employees. So we've put together a few principles like having regular business hours and having remote first Zoom meetings when possible. But our most important guiding principle is to follow the work. Um, also, we'll be using tools like Google Calendars and chat to note work hours and stay connected when we're working on distributed teams. Uh, and like, uh, like OIT, we are emphasizing that managers follow the work and offer flexibility when possible, and that they really have a lot of, uh, they're empowered to make a lot of decisions around flexible work. Thank you so much. It sounds like both of you have thought a lot about preparing for flexible work arrangements in your units so far. And it sounds like so far you've got some great ideas. So could you talk a little bit about um, what advice you would give to a supervisor who's worried about, you know, or maybe feeling anxious about having to make a lot of important decisions in the next couple of months? Yeah, we know that as we emerge from this pandemic, things will continue to shift as we've seen over the last year and a half or so. So we're really encouraging our managers to view, especially fall semester as a transition period and as an opportunity to really try new approaches or different approaches. And managers will be working with their teams to define what work arrangement looks like for them. And we're really encouraging them to define this for the short term and then also make a commitment to have dialogue and to um, evaluate uh, moving forward kind of the next couple months and even over the course of the next year so that we can adjust as appropriate um, throughout the course of the year, but also in the long term. Ashley, what advice would you have for supervisors at this point? Um, I would encourage supervisors to let go of the idea that there is one right decision. Instead, think of this initial flexible work arrangement as a draft. Um, flexible work is going to be evolving over the course of the next few months, the fall semester, the year. So try to approach it with an experimental mindset and make sure that you and your employee have an agreed upon plan to revisit and evaluate how the arrangement is going. Feedback is gonna be really important over the course of this um, experimental approach to flexible work. So uh, be mindful about where you can give feedback and when and establish those expectations upfront. Thank you, Ashley. Um, thanks to both of you at this point for putting some of this into very concrete terms for us. And I'll welcome you back in a few minutes and we'll talk about a few more things about kind of what this all looks like in your units. And we look forward to that. Your perspective is really valuable. So now that we've talked about how to best prepare for flexible work, let's talk about the skills you can use to successfully manage a flexible team. On the slide in front of you, you'll see the key skills for managing flexible teams. 
This list isn't comprehensive and there will be more skills you'll need to use as you begin to manage flexible teams. But this list is a really good starting place. We'll go through these one by one in a minute, but I also want to point out that we have a quick guide to managing flexible teams, which covers all of these skills and has links to more supporting resources. You can find the quick guide by going to z.umn.edu slash QG Managing Flexible Teams. Defining a clear purpose and describing success is all about providing your team with direction and helping them start off on the right track. In traditional circumstances, this looks like clearly defining the purpose of your team or the results they need to achieve, as well as communicating what does success look like. The challenge that supervisors often run into when doing this in a flexible team is that team members may feel isolated, especially those who work virtually when there's a large presence in an office or vice versa. Team members who work in person may feel isolated if most of the team is virtual. Because of these feelings of isolation, team members can feel disconnected from the purpose of the team. Additionally, and I'm sure many of you have experienced this over the last year and a half, when you're working in a flexible arrangement, it's really easy to feel like every task and priority is urgent, even when it isn't. Or you may see a larger volume of communication in the form of email, chat, or meetings, as well as an implicit expectation for multitasking, like checking or answering emails while you're in a meeting. The solution for all of this is to be proactive about communicating the team's purpose and describing what success will look like for each team member. Be clear about your team's priorities. Don't make assumptions that everyone is on the same page. If you think team members know the purpose, explain it again and explain their role in it. By explaining the purpose of the team and how each individual's work connects to the bigger picture, team members will feel more connected and more engaged and have less confusion and stress about what's actually urgent and what isn't. So next, you'll want to clarify roles and responsibilities for your team members in a way that aligns their skills, knowledge, and abilities with the work. This involves making sure individuals know what's expected of themselves and of their team members. Some of the challenges with this skill in flexible teams is that isolated individuals can often fall into independent work patterns, which affects work that relies on interdependence. Additionally, there may be perceptions of uneven workload distributions, with some team members thinking others aren't getting work done or that they're for some reason getting assigned more work. In all teams, but especially a flexible team, you'll need to make sure team members know what they're expected to do and how they're expected to do it. So again, it's not just for flexible teams, but it's especially in flexible teams. It's also a good idea to manage the perceptions of team members by making sure everyone knows what others on the team are doing. Clarifying what people are responsible for and helping team members prioritize will help mitigate some of the challenges you might face in a virtual team. Another thing you'll need to do to manage a flexible team is to establish norms that foster psychological safety. Establishing norms that foster psychological safety is a critical part of making any team engaged in their work together. A team with psychological safety allows team members to take risks and communicate and, accord and coordinate effectively. And you can see that that, under, that underscores so much of what we've been talking about today. In a flexible team, building team trust can be challenging. Zoom meetings and other online interactions can often feel task-oriented, meaning that team members can feel pressure to stay on task and get to the point, even if that pressure wouldn't have been felt in a physical office. We'll talk more about what norms you can set in a minute, but the good news is that there are some things you can do. Set aside time to discuss norms for your team. How much risk can people take? Is it okay to chat or veer off task in a meeting? An explicit norm for these things will be critical, especially for new employees. You can also lead by example and show the team that it's okay to check in or chat for a few minutes in a meeting. Model behaviors like asking for feedback and also, of course, welcoming different perspectives. 
You may be starting to notice a bit of a pattern to all of these skills, and that's that communication is key. It's true. A lot of these different skills that you may have done naturally in a fixed in-person work arrangement may be overlooked once your team becomes flexible. So as a supervisor, in addition to establishing norms for psychological safety, you should revisit and be explicit about communication norms too. Because employees may be working in different locations or at different times, flexible teams can easily fall into siloed work patterns. Another thing that happens is that team members can be hesitant to reach out for support or feedback because they're unsure of others' workload without the in-person signals that someone is busy or feeling stressed. Really, the main thing you need to do as a supervisor is just to be explicit about what team members can expect around communication. With that, we invite you to think, how are you communicating? Moving to a flexible team is an opportunity to rethink how the work can drive the purpose of communication. You don't need to always default to Zoom or even to a meeting. Instead, ask yourself, what's the purpose of your communication? For team communication, we always start with the question, what's the purpose of communication? All this just goes to say, let the work drive the communication. Know that part of your work is tasks and part of it is building relationships and maintaining relationships. At this point, I'd like to ask Ashley and Mayua again to help illustrate what it looks like to establish these norms with a virtual or hybrid team at the University of Minnesota in their local units. The norm that I'd like to talk about first is establishing communication. What would you tell supervisors to start with when thinking about communication on their teams? And in your experience so far, Ashley and Mayua, what have you observed in virtual or hybrid teams? So I would recommend that supervisors consider two things. What are your ex expectations around communication? And then how are you communicating? So expectations might look like, how often do you want your employees to check in with you? Or what kinds of updates should they share regularly? Is there a standard for how quickly email should be responded to? And then how, how to communicate speaks to the modality. So we have a lot of options to stay in touch with tools like Zoom, Google Chat, Slack, text, phone calls, emails, and other collaboration tools. So as a supervisor, you'll wanna be explicit about which method to use when. And the, uh, the tool on the previous slide is a really great way to help you organize that information so that you can communicate it clearly. Thank you, Ashley. Mayua, what would you tell supervisors to start with when they're thinking about communication on their teams? So a few things that I would ask managers to think about, similar to what Ashley mentioned in terms of the modality is to think about, you know, how, do you, how does the team want to connect? What tools do they want to connect, especially when it comes to that quick check-in or if you kind of have a quick question for someone, how do you want to do that? And then, yeah, and then similarly, because we cannot physically see people like we do in the office, we may need to establish boundaries for when we reach out to others and then also when we can expect to hear from others. So setting some boundaries around that can help people kind of just set their expectations because you can't just go over and knock on someone's door and ask a question. And then without those impromptu moments that we can that we connect with others, um, you may need to build in time for connectivity. Thank, thanks, you guys. Your ideas really resonate, I think, with will probably resonate really well with our audience. So I, another question I have for you is um, around, really around psychological safety. I'm just curious what kind of norms in your experience are best for helping team members feel comfortable sharing, offering feedback, asking for help, you know, all of those things that, that we hope that people are talking about uh, with their supervisor. So um, norms around psychological safety, I think really look like connecting and giving space 
at the start of meetings for that human connection, asking how everyone's day is going, asking how you are at the start of one-on-one -on -one meetings. Um, and then supervisors can model giving and asking for feedback and creating that space for sharing if there are challenges that you need to overcome or sharing wins um, at regular intervals. Supervisors can sometimes overlook those norms. It can feel obvious um, or you're uh, just trying to get through the work and trying to get one Zoom meeting done so you can move on to the other. But it's really important to establish that human connection with your team and then think about how you're facilitating that among your team members as well. Yeah, establishing psychological safety is messy and difficult. And we know it won't happen overnight. It's going to take time. Not only is psychological safety something that can help create norms, help teams feel more comfortable, uh, whether that's discussing mistakes, sharing and offering feedback or asking for help. But we know kind of through research that psychological safety also helps team be successful and helps team be more effective, more collaborative, et cetera. And so we encourage all of our managers to continue to work towards fostering that space. And a couple of things that we've asked our managers to do um, includes kind of uh, four ways to approach this. The first one is to create a team environment. And similar to what Ashley just spoke on, it's really using inclusive language. Um, so thinking about just using using we instead of I you know, is, is a way to include everyone in the conversation. Um, and similar to what Ashley mentioned, inviting specific members of the team to share, um, that's one way to ensure that teams are speaking kind of equal amounts of time the second thing we've shared with our managers is to create a rationale for speaking up. So having the encourage to do that. One way that managers could do that is to frame the work as a learning problem, not necessarily just an execution problem. Uh, so a manager might wanna say, especially if they're starting a new project, they might wanna say something like, this is a new challenge for us. There are many possibilities here. So let's explore together what we can do We've got to have everyone's brains and voices in here so that we can explore every possibility. Um, the third thing that we've asked our managers to consider is to um, create more safety for speaking up. And managers could do this by acknowledging kind of where they themselves need help. So being a little bit more vulnerable with employees as well. And then fourthly, we've asked our managers to work on creating necessity for voice um, and doing this through curiosity by using open-ended questions. Uh, so asking questions like, what have we not considered? Or how might we make this process better next time? Those are really great examples, Mayua. And I think it demonstrates, or it's something to think about for supervisors, when there is a mistake made, how are you handling it? So approaching with curiosity, approaching with that learning mindset, rather than um, belittling or shaming people when they mess up, uh, goes a long way to uh, fostering that sense of psychological safety and trust among the team. Thank you so much for your insights, Mayua and Ashley. Um, you've given our audience a lot to think about. So thank you for being here with us today. So another best practice you'll wanna do is to establish a clear decision-making process. Having an intentional and clear process for making decisions helps the team avoid unproductive conflict and wasted effort. It also improves the quality of the team's decisions. When done right, decisions are made based on evidence and analysis, not dominating personalities or personality clashes. A good decision-making process will also have team members agreeing on and understanding the process for making important decisions. There are a few things that can be challenging in a flexible team. 
of course. Well, uh, first, decisions can easily be made without consulting other team members. Uh, that can result in pushback or defensiveness or team members feeling like they're left out of the process. On the flip side, another thing supervisors can run into is a pressure to consult with and inform all stakeholders and team members for every decision, even when they might not need to be in the loop. This can be exhausting and frustrating, especially when trying to move your team's work forward. If you get a sense that team members may feel left out, but you need to make a quick, important decision, circle back with them after the decision is made to keep them informed. Additionally, spend some time thinking about the key people you need to loop in or influence in order to best move the work forward and make decisions. Once you've identified these people, focus your efforts on consulting with them as that will be the best use of your time. The next skill we want to talk about is accountability. A team with a strong culture of accountability achieves results and is engaged and motivated. Supervisors clearly define the behavior or outcomes they expect of team members as well as the way they should achieve them while while offering support and resources. Supervisors of accountable teams also rely on the results of the work to monitor progress. In other words, they don't need to see someone in person working in order to know the work is getting done. Something we hear often from supervisors is that they find it difficult to know what people are doing if they can't see them in the office. And we reflected on this a little bit earlier with Brandon and Lovey. These supervisors rely on a very traditional indicator of work being done, like that in-person presence. We really challenge those of you who are feeling this way to shift your focus from, I can see people doing the work to, I can see the work is being done. Is the work being done? Yes, good, okay, great. It sounds like people are accomplishing their responsibilities and contributing to the results that your team needs to achieve, even if you don't actually physically see them in person doing the work. But if the work is not being done, Right. That doesn't sound like an in-person or, vir or virtual work arrangement would fix that. It sounds like a performance issue. You should treat it as such, using effective performance management and accountability skills. If individuals aren't getting the work done in a flexible work arrangement, it's not necessarily a good reason to scrap the arrangement. Your first resort should be to coach, give feedback, and communicate the consequences, good or bad, for completing or not completing the work. Finally, in any team, a supervisor is responsible for conflict management. While not all conflict is bad, and of course some conflict can have positive outcomes, it's still your responsibility to identify the conflict sources and try to resolve them so that productivity and working relationships are preserved. Sometimes in flexible teams, conflict can feel more personal or team members may not feel as connected as they would in person, so it's easier to fall into relationship conflict. In addition to this, it can be more challenging for a supervisor to address conflict on a flexible team depending on what communication method you're using. It can be difficult to read tone, body language, and other cues we may be used to on a flexible team. You can plan to proactively manage disruptive or unproductive conflict by using ongoing check-ins and, of course, building team trust and relationships. When conflict does arise, assess the source of the conflict to use the most effective strategy to address it. Overall, making sure everyone feels psychologically safe to share, disagree, give feedback, and offer opinions will go a long way in ensuring that unproductive conflict is mitigated. And instead, productive conflicts or disagreements are channeled into making the work of the team better. I know we went through these key skills rather quickly, but once you're at a point where your team is flexible, these skills will help you succeed. The Quick Guide to Managing Flexible Team covers all of these skills and links to more supporting resources, so please feel free to access it whenever you need to. So thank you all for your attention throughout this webinar. We've introduced a lot of ideas today. My question to you is, what's something you learned that seems important to you? And then as a follow-up, what will your first step be? 
you can download the Preparing for Flexible Work worksheet at z.umn.edu slash fwa underscore worksheet. Go through the questions to prepare yourself for making decisions about the work and for managing flexible teams. So yes, we were going through this content rather quickly and to learn more, please explore the supervisory development website at supervising.umn.edu. We have quick guides and many, many other resources that you can download or view anytime for your reference. Thank you so much for attending the webinar and sharing your thoughts. We hope you find the information useful and relevant to your supervisory experience, and we look forward to being with you again soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Supervisory Development Course Podcast. Please explore resources mentioned in the podcast by going to supervising.umn.edu. The Supervisory Development Course Podcast is created by Leadership and Talent Development within the Office of Human Resources at the University of Minnesota. If you have questions regarding supervisory development, please email us anytime at ltd.umn.edu. At